so glad that you've joined us for this message this morning. We're going to be in John 10, 19 through 30. Um, as we've seen over and over in the Gospel of John, believing or faith is basic and fundamental to what it means to be a Christian and to discover life like God intended. John the Apostle wrote his biographical portrait of his best friend Jesus after having lived and walked and served with Jesus, and then for many, many years, decades, having ministered in the name of Jesus and having been a pastor and a shepherd of people. And at the very end of the gospel, he gives us his explanation of why he wrote his biographical story of his friend Jesus. Look at John 20, 31. These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Do you see that connection? These are written so that you may believe and that by believing you may have life. God designed us for life. That's something we talk about all the time as a church, that God designed us for life, but we miss out on the life God intends for us to live because of our self-interested desire to do our own thing and to go our own way. And we turn away and often we run away from the life that God has designed us to live in the love that he has for us. And what, what happens is we rediscover life by turning away from our own way of living and loving and, and doing things and turning back to God in Christ and by turning toward Jesus and by believing in him. And that's why Christians, Christians are sometimes referred to simply as believers, because believing is at the heart of what it means to be a Christian. Our belief, our faith, our trust in God defines our identities. Belief is the boundary marker between life and death, between eternity with God and eternity without God. But this point of believing and believers raises a, 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 another side of the, of the question, and, and that is the side of the question about disbelieving and unbelievers. And the question really is this, why do some believe and others don't? Why did two people hear the same message, the same gospel, and one person is like in tears saying, that's true. And another person is kind of like laughing and scoffing going, that's silly. Why did you hear the gospel at some point and believe it when maybe you'd heard it two or three or a thousand times before, but at some point you finally believed it. Why do some believe and others don't? Why do we believe at one point and not at another? Well, what we're going to see in the Gospel of John is, is here in this passage is Jesus is going to explain the contrast between believing and disbelieving. He's going to explain why some believe and others don't believe. And this story comes right on the heels of, of his explanation of the life of the Christian and the life of the kingdom as one of being a sheep, entering in by the gate of Jesus and being shepherded to life by Jesus, the good shepherd. And he's explained that he is the gate and he is the good shepherd. And, and so on the flip side, we're going to see the, the truth about belief and unbelief in the way that the Jewish people and the people who are listening to him respond to what he's been saying. And this is the first thing we see in John 10, 19 through 21. Belief and unbelief divides people. Belief and unbelief divides people. Again, the Jews were divided because of these words. 
Many of them were saying, he has a demon and he's crazy. Why do you listen to him? Others were saying, these aren't the words of someone who is demon-possessed. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Now, this has been brewing for, for, for a little while. Some of the people listening uh, hear him, and, and it makes sense, but most of the people listening, most of the religious leaders were like, this guy's nuts. He's he's demon-possessed. What they kind of thought was that he was like the magicians in Egypt, Remember Moses and Aaron in Exodus 7 through 9, they go to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and demand in the name of the Lord, Yahweh, that Pharaoh let the people go. And and they do these signs, and, and Aaron throws the staff on the ground, and it becomes a snake. And they do, do these series of signs and plagues. Well, the first few of those signs, the, the Egyptian magicians were able to duplicate. So, so Pharaoh's magicians were able to reproduce the signs and, and able to do some things that we would consider pretty amazing. And so many of the Jewish leaders are like, this is, this is who this guy is. He's a, he's a charlatan. He's a, he's, a, he's a magician like Pharaoh's magicians. He's, he's doing something, but it's dark and it's demonic. But there were a few, there were a few who could see what, were, what was really happening, who could see that though the, the Pharaoh's magicians could mimic the power of Moses and Aaron in the name of the Lord, and they, they could turn their staffs into snakes like, like Moses and Aaron. They, they could turn water into blood. They could call frogs up onto the land. But, but we see in Exodus 8.18 that there came a point where the magicians weren't able to do what Moses and Aaron were able to do, because at some point, only the work and the power of God is sufficient to explain what's happening. So, so these, these folks, they knew their Bibles, and they looked, and they said, only the Creator could do this. This isn't the work of someone who's demon-possessed. They knew their Bible. They knew, for example, Exodus 4.12, the Lord said to Moses, who placed a mouth on humans? Who makes a person mute or deaf, seen or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Again, in Psalm 146, verse 8, the Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord raises up those who are oppressed. The Lord loves the righteous. We see that though many rejected Jesus, a few had this nascent, this, this emerging belief that only God could do this. This man was someone truly special and truly filled with the power of God. Why is that the case, though? Why did some of them believe and others not? Why did some harden their hearts like Pharaoh did when Moses and Aaron came to him? Why did some refuse to see what was right in front of them? Well, that's the next thing we see in this passage, the unbeliever's problem. In John 10, through 26, it says, Then the festival of dedication took place in Jerusalem, and it was winter. Jesus was walking in the temple in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews surrounded him and asked, How long are you going to keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. I did tell you, and you don't believe, Jesus answered them. The works that I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you don't believe because you are not of my sheep. Notice in verse 22 there, it says that this happened during the festival of dedication. This festival is also called the festival of lights, or what you may know as the celebration of Hanukkah. 
Hanukkah was a celebration of a revolt led by a group of Jewish leaders called the Maccabees against the Syrian pagan king Antiochus Epiphanes. Antiochus Epiphanes had gone into the temple in 167 AD and had profaned the altar. And a few years later in 164 AD, the Maccabees revolted and took back the temple. And and every year after that, the, the people of Israel celebrated the way God delivered them through this Maccabean revolt. To this day, Jewish people all over the world celebrate the Festival of Lights or Hanukkah to to remember God's deliverance through that moment. And here we see, even in the midst of this celebration, this festival of dedication or Hanukkah, the greatness of Jesus is actually what the story is about. And it happens in what is December for us, around what we have as Christmas time, and it says there, it was winter. And and, it, and many commentators note that this is a, a subtle reminder of how hard and cold the hearts of those who are listening to Jesus actually were. We see Jesus is sheltered from the cold in Solomon's colonnade and sort of like the porch patio area, and the Jews surround him and they interrogate him in verse 24 and they say, how long are you going to keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Well, some of them may have been genuinely curious, but a lot of them were not acting in good faith. They were trying to trap Jesus, and they were trying to get Jesus to reduce his mission and his identity to the politics of the moment, because it would have been seen as a political statement for him to declare outright, I am the Messiah. Jesus, though, he didn't. He refused to be captive to the politics of the moment. His kingdom was political. Jesus is Lord is an affirmation that Caesar is not Lord. And this is a political thing that Jesus is doing, but it's much, much more than that. And so he refused to let them captivate or domesticate his mission in terms of their political moment. By the way, I think that's a good point for us to remember in this season as we approach the election in November. Now, in verses 25 and 26, we really get to the heart of the problem. The problem is that these people were like Pharaoh. Their hearts were hard. They saw the work of God in Jesus, and they refused to believe it. They hardened their heart. Jesus has shown them more than enough to convince them that he is, in fact, the Messiah. But they refuse to believe. It's like the story of the man who's... um, told there's a flood coming. And he says, well, I, I'm, a, I'm a strong believer and I believe God's going to save me. And so he says, I'm going to stay my house and I'm going to wait for God's deliverance. And there's someone who comes by in a, a truck and says, hey, the flood's coming. You, you better get in. He said, no, no, I trust God. God's going to save me. And then the floodwaters start to rise and he's up on the second floor of his home out on the out on the balcony where the waters are just barely reaching the second floor of the house and and someone comes by in a boat a rescue boat and says sir come on get in the flood's rising he says no 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 i trust god god's going to save me and the flood waters rise and rise until finally he's at the very peak of his roof and the flood is surrounding him and someone there, there's a rescue helicopter hovering up above and someone leaning out the door saying sir Grab onto the rope. Grab the ladder. We're going to send someone down to save you. He says, no, no, no. God will save me. Finally, the man drowns. And he gets to the the gates of heaven. And he says to the Lord, he says, I trusted you to save me. And the Lord said, I sent you a truck, a boat, and a helicopter. What more 
could I have done? This is sort of what's happening here. These folks, God had sent them plenty of signs. He had shown them sufficiently who he was in Christ. The problem wasn't their information. The problem wasn't that God hadn't provided a way. The problem was their hearts were hard. Just like a person who closes their eyes on a sunny day. You can't fault the sun that the person closes their eyes. Their hearts were hard. Their eyes were closed. But why? Why were their hearts hard? Why were their eyes closed? Why did they refuse to believe? Notice what Jesus says. He says, you don't believe because you are not of my sheep, in verse 26. He doesn't say, you are not my sheep because you don't believe. Now, that's true, but that's not the point Jesus was making. He says, they are not sheep, therefore they do not believe. That their belief is rooted in something deeper than their own hearts and more mysterious than their own wills. Jesus is making a point about something in the divine purposes of God, about the purpose of God to save people for himself. The Bible calls this teaching at different points election and predestination. And people get all stressed out about this biblical teaching. Um, So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read a few scriptures, and I'm just going to let the Bible speak for itself. We're going to start it where we are in John. Look at John 6, 37. Everyone the Father gives to me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will never cast out. John 6, 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. John 6, 65, he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. John 8, 47, this is the one who is from God, listens to God's words. This is why you don't listen, because you are not from God. Acts 13, 48, when the Gentiles heard this, they rejoiced and honored the word of the Lord and all who had been appointed to eternal life believed. Ephesians 1, 3 through 6, blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens for he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself according to the good pleasure of his will to the praise of his glorious grace that he has lavished on us in the beloved one. Romans 8, 29 and 30. Those who he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Romans 9, 6 through 13. Now it is not as though the word of God has failed. Because not who are not all who are descended from Israel are Israel, neither are all of Abraham's children his descendants. On the contrary, your offspring will be traced through Isaac. That is, it is not the children by physical descent who are God's children, but the children of the promise are considered to be offspring. For this is the statement of the promise. At this time I will come and Sarah will have a son. And not only that, but Rebekah conceived children through one man, our father Isaac. And though her sons had not been born yet or done anything good or bad, so that God's purpose according to election might stand, not from works, but from the one who calls, she was told, the older will serve the younger, as it is written, I have loved 
loved Jacob, but I have hated Esau. The testimony of Scripture is clear. Unbelief can only be healed by the sovereign grace of God. And this is heavy stuff, and sometimes people get uh, frustrated or get uh, uncomfortable with this with this biblical teaching, and, and it becomes a point of debate. But that's not where Jesus takes the conversation. He doesn't point to debate, but he directs us to delight. He, dele- he directs us to delight in the security believers have in the grace of God. That's the third thing we see in this passage, the believer's security. John 10, 27 through 30. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Those who are sheep hear the shepherd's voice. They are sheep because they hear the shepherd's voice. But the point that Jesus is making is that they hear the shepherd's voice because they are are sheep because they are chosen in Christ and they hear and respond. He says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Our salvation is rooted not fundamentally in us knowing God, but in God knowing us. We saw in Romans 8, 29, those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Some people explain this and say, see, God just kind of saw ahead of time who would choose him and who wouldn't. And that's what, that's what this is talking about. The problem with that is that's not what that word foreknown means. It doesn't mean knowledge of information. It means knowledge of affection. It means that God set his affection on people and loved them and shows them. It's, it's setting his affection upon people, as we saw in Ephesians 1, where it says God loved us and chose us and predestined us for adoption. Saying that we chose, he chose us because we chose him is, is sort of like saying he leads because we follow. But it's not like Jesus was like, oh, Matthew's coming and John and Peter, and I guess I should probably lead them somewhere. No, he's a king who summons his disciples. Come follow me. Lay down your nets and come follow me. Matthew, you follow me. Peter, you follow me. John, you follow me. Notice he says there, verse 28, that he gives them eternal life. It's a gift. Here's the problem with thinking that our salvation depends upon our choice. It makes salvation about works rather rather than grace. Remember, we we started this sermon asking the question, why do some believe and others don't? And if the answer to that question is because some are smart enough, wise enough, or spiritual enough to make the right decision, then that person has something to boast about over and against the person who doesn't make that decision. Well, man, I made a good decision. You made a bad decision. And it makes that person salvation, that person's salvation about what they have chosen and what they have done rather than about the grace of God and what God has done. Either salvation is a gift from God and it excludes boasting and bragging or salvation is from us and we should boast and brag. 
that we were wise enough, smart enough, or spiritual enough to see Jesus and to choose to follow him. But we know, we know the scripture teaches that it's all of grace and it's based on faith, that that in ourselves we are desperately wicked and our hearts are deceitful, Jeremiah 17, 9. We know Psalm 14 says no one seeks after God. 1 John 4, 10 says that this is love, not that we love God, but that God loved us. Why do some believe and others don't? Because God is God and grace is grace. And this is the most comforting truth in the whole world, that if you are in Christ, you are as secure as you could possibly be. Look at what Jesus says. They will never perish. No one can snatch them from my hand. No one can snatch them from the Father's hand. This is the most emphatic way for Jesus to say this, the word never there. It's almost in the original Greek as if it were italicized, underlined, bold, and capitalized. Never. No one. Never. You are totally safe. How can you be so secure? Because you are a gift of the Father to the Son. You would have to dismantle the Trinity to lose your salvation. Now, some of you might be thinking at this point, well, how do I know if I'm a sheep? Well, here's how you know. Do you turn from your sin and trust in Christ? Can you hear his voice and will you follow him? Scripture doesn't tell us to ask whether we're chosen or not so much as it tells us to repent and believe, to listen to the voice of the good shepherd and obey. The question is, can you hear him? One of my favorite shows is The West Wing. And on The West Wing, there's an episode where a person with bad intent tries to get into the White House to hurt the president's daughter. And the president's a little bit rattled. They catch the person and and and, and everything was fine, but, but he's a little rattled. And at some point, someone says there were eight checkpoints between where they were and Zoe's bedroom. How much more so are those who are held by the triune God safe with him? Thank you.